0: Banks weren't exactly giving out loans to kids that want to put out punk rock records. And I realized I'm not going anywhere. Usually it's a couple of irons in the fire. There's been times in the past where it's been a few too many and we've definitely paid the price for that. FBM, the bike company, was just like an office space with like a tiny warehouse and it caught on fire and burned down.
1: I worked at companies where I was making more than enough and was living comfortably, but I wasn't happy because I didn't feel like the work was fulfilling. Hopefully this will squash any Chris a Millionaire rumors.
0: If I'd have known anything about business I would have never started a bike company to begin with. I
1: mean there's a million other things that I could be putting my time and energy into to make a much better living.
0: Trying to make an honest living out of doing something you love it's like a terrible idea. We would rather fail than suck. That's truer every day. We will never suck. Kodak Projects presents Don't Stand in Line a six-part docu-series about four unlikely entrepreneurs. Featuring Chris Wren of Bridge9 Records, Sunny Seng of hate56.com, Greg Walsh of Wolpergate Gym, and Steve Crandall of FBM Bike Company and Drop-In Coffee. Available now for purchase or rent at KodakProjects.com. I'm happy to say that this episode is being brought to you by Triumph Printing Company. Triumph is a Massachusetts-based screen printing company with 16 years of experience. Everything's hand printed. They offer design as well as branding. I'm actually using them for a few upcoming projects and I'm super excited to be working with Matt over at Triumph Printing Company. You can find them on Instagram and Facebook at Triumph Printing Co. Or email Matt direct at triumphprintingco at gmail.com.
1: as a producer i love the rush of doing it live yeah i love the challenge because anything can go wrong and it's 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 again part of being in punk and hardcore like things go wrong and uh, a guitar string might break and you got to replace the string like that's just part of the experience yeah. too much filtering i think really waters down the fact that this genre of music is meant to be gritty and in your face and not polished that's what makes punk and hardcore accessible to people people see that like oh that band fucked up but they just continue going on that means i can start a band and fuck up and i don't have to, i don't have to worry about it you right, know and right. i think that is really empowering because when you go see metallica play in front of like fifty thousand people or whatever it is like that is so polished that there's such a gap there that i don't think the average person can picture themselves doing what metallica is doing on stage whereas when you go to a hardcore show you see the band up there the headlining band it's like yeah i i could do that if i just start a band and practice like i could i the, the goal seems much more within reach.
0: Welcome to the first real episode of the Kodak Projects podcast. My name is Anthony, and today we're talking with Sonny Singh of Hate56.com. Aside from being a computer science genius and an all-around great guy, Sonny has taken it upon himself to document the underground hardcore scene like no one that's ever come before him. He's amassed the largest known film library of hardcore shows, and he's actually also an amazing flatland BMX rider. Along with Chris ran at Bridge9 and Sully's Brand, Greg Walsh of Wolf Brigade Gym, and Steve Crandall of FBM Bike Company and Drop-In Coffee, Sonny is one of the four people featured in the Don't Stand In Line docuseries. We cover a lot of ground in this episode, and we hit on a few topics that we didn't discuss in the documentary. Whether you know Sonny or not, I think you're going to really enjoy this one. So here we go. All right, so we're talking with Sonny Sang from hate56.com, and for those that might not know, could you just... Please give us like a brief intro of who you are and what you do.
1: Yeah, so I'm a uh, digital archivist. I focus primarily on documenting the hardcore and punk scene. Um, that typically incu- includes filming shows and sharing the footage online, but also um, tracking down lost footage that's you know been sitting on tapes in someone's attic for years and years and years. Um, So I do a lot of work just archiving shows and making that footage available to people worldwide. And I also do a lot of work with um, uh, activist groups in documenting various social movements as well. So I sort of use 8.56 as a platform to uh, introduce people to different kinds of bands and also to signal boost various um, social movements that are happening in this day and age.
0: That's a huge, overwhelming task. What motivated you to start doing that? Did it Or did it just kind of or happen organically?
1: It was a little bit of both. I mean, I grew up, um, I grew up in New Jersey, so 8x6 is a play on the area code where I grew up, which was 8x6. Um, and I really wanted to get involved in my local scene back in uh, 99, 2000, when I was just entering high school. And I was really interested in BMX and I was starting to film you know, BMX videos with you know me and my friends. And so I already had the camera, and I saw the camera as a way to film some of my friends' bands who were playing small local shows. And in, in my head, I thought, you know, maybe I could use the footage to help them, you know, get some new listeners either by handing out DVDs that I that I make at home, at, hand them out at school, or what have you. But this was before internet video, so I didn't even en- envision being able to distribute videos the way that I'm doing now. So it was a combination of... Like wanting to get involved already having the interest in filming and the other part of it i was also interested in collecting vhs recordings of some of my favorite bands So i was involved in various underground online like bootleg trading communities that were happening on in different chat rooms and things like that so i was really involved with this whole idea of live recordings being something that's worth sharing and and, and and wanting to hear because every show was different, every guitar solo you you could watch you know this you could watch the same band across twenty different uh, show recordings, and there's gonna be different guitar solos. there's gonna be a uh, different setler, different speeches in between songs and all of that really fascinated me. So by the time I had the idea of wanting to film bands, it was it was born out of this combination this confluence of one wanting to get involved in my local scene somehow. Um, and then two, just wanting to uh, pursue my interest in live recordings that was already starting to develop from years before.
0: Well, first, it just sounds like you started doing it, like there wasn't really a plan. It was just like, I love doing this and I, you know, it was just fun. So you just started doing it without any idea of how you would actually distribute anything to anyone. I would imagine when you started, if I remember correctly, like putting a video online wasn't the easiest thing in the world yeah
1: again like when i first started youtube wasn't around and i i i come from a software development background and i was learning to program back in high school so i was starting to think about you know how can i put videos online and there were i'm not the first to do it i mean obviously there were people filming before me and there were channels that had videos streaming on their site so there was a a site called fear.com p-h-e-e-r out of the dc area and that was run by this guy named pablo who was way ahead of his time and so he was having videos Stream on his page via, I think, Real Player. So anyone who remembers that era, like, you know, real, there was always the issue with Real Real Player videos buffering and shit like that. So he was he was doing it, and I remember seeing it. I was like, "This is really cool." And he had a whole website with like a forum and just like resources for people. And then I didn't realize it at the time, but that was something that really I wanted. I was aspiring to 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 build upon. So yeah, it was it was very difficult from the beginning. And I remember like. Uh, telling my dad, I was in high school, I was like, you know, I, I, I want to start printing DVDs and uh, selling the kids at school. And he was like, you're an idiot. No one's going to buy a DVD of the ska band playing to 10 people in, at, the, at the local VFW. So he was right. So he yeah. ended up seeing the headache of going down the route. But I think that, um, I mean, yeah. I, 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 I was filming in the like 2000 until 2002 or three in high school. And then I stopped because there was really no viable way to share it um right. youtube didn't come around until around like three late, three years later 2006ish and that's when i first started to dabble with actually uploading the videos and realize that oh you know there there is interest around um, these live recordings that i'm that i'm that i'm producing and so let me just continue doing that but it was from about you know that time 2006 2007 2008 it was it was just for me a hobby and it remained a hobby up until um march of 2018 and i was working as a software developer full-time and just doing 8x6 filming and stuff like that on the side and on the weekends and it got to the point where um i got sick and tired of working in tech and i was spending as much if not more time working on 856 and i decided to take a leave um march of 2018 to just try to do this full-time uh in a way that um, keeps everything free and relies on a small number of viewers to make contributions to me, and um, thankfully it's, it's worked. And I mean, knock on wood, it's still sustainable. But <laughs> it's, at any point that could co- that could uh, collapse. But in the last about two and a half years, I've been able to really um, I've been able to push the envelope more and more. I've been, been I've been filming more. I've been upgrading my gear and just increasing the quality of my work, increasing the quantities. I've been posting way more videos than ever before. I've been posting, um, uh, one video a day for the last two years. Now Mm -hmm. I've I've gone up to like daily content releases. Um, Um, and I've been just focusing on, you know, improving the site in different ways, whether it's building different tools to help people find a new band that they like, or, you know, building out a virtual digital community for people. Um, and I'm also still working on, you know, I, I, I do a lot of physical tinkering, too. So I build a lot of like uh, camera rigs and stuff that help me uh, with my shoots. So I've been working on stuff like that. So anyone who anyone who watches in the line, you'll see a scene in there where I talk about this uh, sky cam that I've been building for seven years. I started it in 2013. It's basically kind of what the NFL, kind of like what the NFL uses for getting overhead shots using a camera that's suspended on a cable And there's a pulley system, and it's all remote controlled, and you can get, like, really nice aerial shots over uh, whatever you're suspended above. And I started working on that in 2013, and the project kind of came to a halt a year later, a year and a half later, and it just sat on my shelf for many years. And I talk about that in in the doc, and then actually during the, the beginning of the pandemic, I was staring at it, and I said... I'm not doing anything right now. I really want to finish this. And as of like a couple of weeks ago, I actually finally finished this thing and it actually, it works way better than I thought. So I'm still keeping busy um, as much as I can, whether it's um, obviously obviously shows aren't happening happening right now. So I'm mostly focusing on live streaming, providing bands with an avenue to at least perform live in some capacity and giving viewers some sort of taste of seeing a band live um and then just really focusing on um archiving old tapes that people are dig that people dig up and send to me and um hopefully this can last I don't know how long that it'll last but I have enough work on my plate to to last at least until early 2021
0: so yeah I was going to ask you about the cable cam but like but just uh stepping back a little um when you started posting videos, I mean, I, I think the consistency thing is a, is huge when you're trying to do something like this. Because I, I remember you, I remember you uh, posting about taking things full time like a couple years ago, and just being really excited to to see what happened with that. Because it's it's something that I think I'll, I'm probably not unique. I think a, a lot of people think about doing something like that, and they and they kind of watch, and but they're afraid to take that leap. So I thought it was really awesome that you were able to do that. And it, it's great that it sounds like it's working out so far. Um, but when you when you were initially posting videos before you took it full-time, like how consistent were you being with that?
1: I was posting um, about anywhere between, I think on average, I was averaging between three to one year I hit 500. Three to 500 videos a year I was posting. Um, wow. usually before going full-time, it was, it was more around like the 300 video okay. per year. Um, and Good. so I was, filming, I was filming a lot and posting, but then once I hit full-time, I I think the first year that I went full-time, I doubled it. I think I went, I want to say like 600 that year. I went hard wow. that first year that I went full-time. So yeah, I mean, it, it started out and actually on my site, I have a, uh, there's a visual I can send it to you. There's a visual, um, breakdown of, it's, it's a basically... It's a calendar that spans the last uh, it's an interactive calendar that spans the last like twelve years and it shows you visually every day that was it's it's basically twelve years worth of calendars all in on one screen. and uh, every day that I posted a video is colored in in like in in like red. so you can hover over and actually, you can actually see visually how my like upload consistency evolved from the very beginning, which started out very sparse like, one or two videos a month and there was a huge break in between. And then as I started getting more and more serious with it, like 2011, 2012, you can actually see visually see that there was a huge increase in the frequency in which I was uploading. Right. And I think that I tell this to a lot of people who are trying to build any sort of following or channel. It's that consistency is huge in terms of building um, or trying to defeat these algorithms because the, the algorithms are constantly trying to keep the people keep people on a specific channel or keep people on the platform that you're that you're that they're, that they're on. So having being able to pr- produce content with a sort of frequency definitely helps with the algorithms pushing you in people's needs and keeping you relevant because they know that people are going to come back and stay on your channel. Right. So it's in your best interest because it's in the interest of the algorithms to have more content. And I, I didn't realize that early on. I think that was something that um, I noticed, but I wasn't the first to notice it either. But I think that the, the longer you start working in something like this and start building out a community, you realize that engagement is, is huge. And that's why, like, a lot of people come to me and say, hey, why don't you just post your entire backlog right now? And I'm like, if I, if I post five videos if i post like 50 videos today even five that's just too much content and no one watches any of it so it it, at some point you you begin to oversaturate your channel and your content cannibalizes itself so i really encourage people just sort of space things out like you don't have to like post everything in one day you can post teasers and the idea is to bring people back and, and 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 like want more and that's what it took me a long time to realize, in terms of wanting to build this out into like a thriving community of people who are really excited and eager about live recordings.
0: Right, I think that's such a tricky, uh, it's a, such a tricky w- line to walk. Uh, but the it's funny because the the consistency part I think existed well before the internet did, really. Because I remember talking, you know, uh, talking to Josh Freeberg, the one of the founders of 411 Video Magazine. Back in the day, and just ask him like, "How did you how did you do this?" And one of the biggest takeaway I got from that was he said consistency. You got to make sure it comes out at the same time every month. They know where to get it, and that was VHS tapes. So, so it's not even it's not too surprising that you know that's built into the algorithms, you know, for for what they're using. But um, speaking of that, so like you you mentioned BMX, and obviously. It sounds like you used to film a lot of BMX stuff. Like, do you see, like, what kind of do you see connection between like everything that you're doing, like BMX, you know, punk and hardcore, and and even like kind of entrepreneurship? Do you see anything that ties those together?
1: Yeah, I definitely do. Especially, you know, I ride flatland. So anyone who isn't aware, like flatland BMX, is like all your tricks are on flat ground. So it's a lot of like rolling, spinning tricks. You're not using any ramps. It's all balance based, and um, it's a very solitary thing. Um, I mean, obviously like skateboarding, every, all, of, all of these quote unquote extreme sports are very solitary compared to like baseball or football versus team sport. But especially with flatland, it's a lot of trial and error and really trying to fine tune what it is that you're doing and changing your approach and just iterating over that over and over and over again and, and, and realizing that failure is baked into that process. And you're only going to learn that trick if you fail en- enough times beforehand. So I think that you know being involved with BMX from an early age that it didn't I didn't realize it at the time but it was teaching me this idea of persistence and consistency and realizing that uh, failure is inevitable as much as failure hurts and it sucks and no one wants to go through it it is inevitable in any process and you have to embrace it um, and once you once you learn to embrace it you're able to overcome whatever challenges that opposes and I know that sounds mundane but. I talk about this in, in the documentary it's 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 really important because especially when you're learning a trick you know you're going to try the same maneuver over and over again you're going to fail it's going keep you're going to keep failing and then you realize oh i just need to turn my foot this way or i need to, i need to hold the grip like this or you know slide my hand out an inch to the right or whatever it is and you start thinking about you know you start to think about what are the various parameters that go into this trick. What are the key ingredients that I need to like nail at each step of the way in order to to nail it, to to complete the trick. And I think that that's something that I've carried into with Hate 6 You know, I try a lot of things. I, I've, you know, when I was first starting to edit, when I was first starting to do live streams, it's a lot of this stuff was new to me because never, I've never taken a clack in film like filming or editing or anything so it's been a lot of trial and error for me and realizing you know i can i can i can try 10 things and nine of them of nine at nine times out of ten they're going to fail but that one time you know i might i i might fail up until or i might succeed up until the last step uh, in that ninth in that in the last attempt and that's going to give me a, a very like a very solid piece of information and feedback about okay well Everything was working up until this point. I can, I can, then, I can now try to identify what went wrong and address it directly. And that's something that not just with filming and editing and trying to do like a live stream, but even with just running the channel as a business now. I mean, I, I didn't think of it at the time, but I'm technically running a business. I'm like K56 is my company, and I'm yeah. the sole owner and employee of it. And this is all new to me. I've never ran a business before, I've never thought about it, never really envisioned myself doing it. But I'm at this point now where I'm thinking about, okay, I'm trying to grow my following, I'm trying to grow the fundraising by this much by this date, what can I try? So I need to try all these various things, whether it's offering different types of content, or trying to explain people in different ways, what their how their support translates to an increase in quality and quantity of free content. So for me, it's, it's all about trying various ways of figuring out what resonates with people in terms of like how important it is to support the work that i'm doing in order for me to continue doing what i'm doing at this level and beyond
0: right right that makes total sense and i think the other thing that for me when i think about riding flatland, is i mean i don't do it at the level that, that you do um i never did it at any high level at all but like when i was learning even back in the 80s just trying to learn 80 type a little flatland trick if you couldn't see it happening there was no way you were going to do it if you couldn't visualize it, it you were never going to get it i mean and i think that goes for a lot of things but i think that's also definitely true for trying any sort of project especially if it's something that no one's done before you know um so i think i i i, I hear what you're saying there for sure but so I wanted to ask, do you remember when we met? We met at
1: the first episode. You were filming. Uh, I was on stage left. You were stage right. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you met at the show or afterward, but I remember seeing you there. And I, I don't know if I knew who you were. I, I obviously knew who Tenure Flight was. And I don't know if I connected the dots that that was you.
0: Maybe not, because I think I looked quite a bit different at that point. But
1: yeah, but I remember I remember you filming it. Um but again I don't remember I don't remember if we talked then. That was one of the actually that was actually one of the very first shows I filmed as Hate by Six because I was filming in high school in the early two thousands and I stopped and then I picked up a camera again in two thousand six. Okay. That that first step show, that last show they played was one of like the first shows that I filmed as Hate by Six with my Canon GL two that I had recently bought.
0: Yeah. Um yeah, I was trying to think, and, and that's what I thought too. And, and I don't remember if we really talked then, or if we talked. I think we just probably emailed back and forth later because one of my.
1: I remember, I remember sitting in my my bedroom at my parents' house, and I, I was emailing you, and I remember being super excited because that's you mentioned being involved with four one one, and I was like, holy shit, I knew that I was super excited about that, and I think either you had asked me for um my footage because i think one of your angles yep. had died or something or the audio was blown out so you wanted mine and i think maybe you maybe you reached out to me first and we're like it could have hey, been
0: I... yeah because one of my cameras because so what happened like i was supposed to be doing that set as part of that the i was, was supposed to be for issue three of under pressure which was like a dvd that i was doing at the time uh which your dad was right they they really <laughs> it, it was a money pit um but So I had three cameras set up and then I had, it was me and I forget the kid's name. It was someone I met on the bridge nine board. Like at the last one, I was like, Hey, I need someone to help me film this. And I rented these cameras and I had one set up. It was championship records, right? Is that the name of that? So it was like, it was set up way in the back on, on like top of like a storage closet or something. It was like, there was no ceiling above the closet. So you could get up on top. I don't know if you remember, but I had it. I had it just sitting there on a tripod, like, oh, this will be a good wide shot. I'll just let it run, um, and then I went back and checked the footage, and it was just the whole lens was just fogged up. So it was like, all right, well, that's worthless. And then, so I think I got in touch with a Ram um, from the, from the first step, and and he told me to get in touch with you. And I think that's what happened. But it turned out, I guess they because they he was, I think he was arranging to have the audio recorded and. I never got the full story from that, but I, it was apparently not even good enough that he would even let me listen to it. So <laughs> I don't know. That was just one of those. It's one of those weird things that like, I remember like we randomly just kind of connected. And then years later, I was like, I, I stumbled on your site and I was like, oh, wow. Like he, <laughs> I guess he really stepped it forward and, and figured out how to do this without making DVDs. Cause like, I remember that being such a hard thing thing for me to figure out um it was it was because like I had done one and it did well and then I and, and then going back to the consistency I waited like two years to put out the next one and um at that point like YouTube was a thing and like and and it just it just tanked so um I don't know it's just funny the way things connect but I wanted to ask you also like obviously um you must not have had any idea what to expect when I when I asked you about this project. Do you, do you remember like what you were thinking and like like honestly, don't. I mean, because like I had no idea what was going to go on with it for with. Uh, don't stand in line. I'm talking about like you must have been like like I don't know, but like I know you got back to me quickly, but I'm. You must have had your doubts.
1: You know, it's funny. I get people reach out to me all the time about interviews and whatnot, and I try to respond to everyone. Sometimes I just kind of get burned out with it it's usually the same type of questions or whatnot but i was i i immediately replied to you because i have deep respect for you and i knew that if you were asking me thank you i knew it was going to be something worth my time and at the level of like quality that i like expect out of a project like this so like it was it was like it was immediately a yes for me when i when, when i heard from you i was like you know what i i trust wrench i know this is gonna be good like let's do it so it was there was absolutely no hesitation on my
0: part dude thank you i i appreciate that i think well one thing about the four of all four of you guys that were involved like it, it seemed like you had more faith in me than i i really had in myself and i i appreciate that like totally um i so i wanted to ask like so like when we were filming like that was 29 it seems like five years ago at this point but that was 2019 i think it was april like is there anything that stuck out like was it what did you expect and 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 was it do you think it like what were you thinking after i guess like like did it go kind of the way you thought it was gonna go or
1: yeah i was expecting it to be like more behind the scenes about what it is that drives me and how everything works and from what I've seen in the docs so far, I, I feel like you you hit the nail on the head. I feel like this is one of the first times that I've gone into a lot of things about what makes me tick as a person and what makes me want to do this as like spend my life doing this. And I I think it, it captured it pretty perfectly. Um, I remember I think I think I went into a lot of like I think I when we were filming, I went into a lot of like technical talks about how like every little detail worked in in, in my head. Like I'm a very uh That's how I think, because I'm, like, yeah. I'm, I'm 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 like a software developer by training and have a math background. So I'm always thinking about like details and, and making things clear. So um, I remember talking a lot about that stuff. That probably was good that you left <laughs> left it out of the yeah. docs. That probably would have made people well,
0: well, honestly, like that that's I think a lot of that stuff super interesting and and. And it'd probably be something, like, eventually, I'll I'll do something with that. Like, I mean, if you're interested in having something like that, you know, where it's... um, Because I know, like, there was some of that with with everyone. Like, they go into a lot of detail about one thing. And it's hard to know. Like, even when I was filming it, it was like, I wasn't sure where I was really going to focus. I mean, I had a general idea. But you never know, you know, so... So that was, I mean, that was definitely cool to hear about anyways.
1: Yeah, because for me, I, I I feel like, I feel, and, and people constantly assume that Hey, Five, Six is like a multi-person thing, that there's multiple people working for me. And I think it stems from the fact that people don't realize that I'm literally doing everything. I'm, I'm doing the filming, the editing, the social media, and I'm also we're writing the code that powers everything. And I think that people don't realize that that is all just me, and so I think that I tend to go into extreme detail when I'm being interviewed because I want people. I want to convey to people, like, yo, this is literally all I'm doing, and this is how this is how deep I am into this. Yep. That I'm I'm writing tens and thousands of lines of code to power this thing to make it easier for me to like distribute content more efficiently. So I I tend to go into it just so people. There's no doubt. There's no like. I, there's no room for any doubt about. How it all works and the 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 level of sacrifice and commitment that i'm making to do this at this level so um that was like that's typically what's motivating me to go off on various tangents about the the nitty-gritty details of how it all works because i think that uh without seeing the detail i mean a a lot of people just see the product they just see the video that gets posted that day and they don't think about how much time went into filming it how much travel went into filming it first of all and how much time and energy went into like filming that fest where i didn't take one break to like take a piss or eat some food you know and then they don't think about the fact of how many hours went in, into editing it and then paying someone to mix it like there's so much involved when uh, that, get, that, that doesn't really get thought about when all you see is the
0: final product so i don't do that nearly on the level of what you're doing but like i mean i have an idea of what's involved in just the video production side but like the 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 other more technical side, like, I have no idea, like, how to do that. But the fact that you're able to do so much, so consistently, it it just, it kind of blows my mind. So for someone who has, who doesn't really have any knowledge, it'd be really hard for them to understand, I would think.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but no, I think the, uh, I think the doc really did a great job, not just with me, but with everyone just painting the picture of these are four people who have really, um, Invested their lives in every sense of the word to doing what it is that they want to do, and rejecting greener pastures, you know, in order to continue doing it is what they really want to do at the end of the day. And like, for me, that was important because I think that um, a lot of people see that I'm I'm doing this uh, full time, and they reach out to me saying, "Hey, I see that you're doing this. I really want to do something similar. Like, how do I do it?" And my my what I tell people is like. You got to build yourself up to a point where you feel like you're ready and you just have to try it and you have to be ready in the event that it fails and um but you i I feel like people owe it to themselves to at least try whatever it is that they want to do whether it's they want to learn how to skateboard or whether they want they want to you know go back to school or they want to do creative art full-time like you owe it to yourself as a person um to to do whatever it is that you want to do um because i think that we constantly we're conditioned to talk ourselves out of doing certain things whether it's society or family expectations like we never want to go for that goal out of fear of disappointment or fear of failure or just like societal expectations and so i think that um i think people who see this doc are going to be inspired i hope to do it do whatever it is that's been in the back of their mind they've been hesitant to to, to go for
0: right I, I i totally agree i think going into this i had more of like a I want it to be like, oh, entrepreneurs from, you know, like a punk background or whatever, you know, and, but like, has it evolved? It's like, no, it's not really about, it's not about business. It's just about doing what, what you want to do without being af- afraid of everyone else's judgments and opinions and, and just kind of go like what you just said, like you owe it to yourself to try it, whether it's working at the bank or whether it's, uh, you, you know, directing a, a feature length film. You know, it it doesn't matter. It's it's what you know you want to do, because I think too often people get caught up in just following that you know course that's set for them by you know the adults around them, and and I think that's like one of the biggest mistakes you can make.
1: Yeah, totally agree.
0: I wanted to ask, like, speaking about the the other guys involved, Greg, Chris, and Steve, like, was there, like, I know you probably knew of them, but but I don't know how well you knew them. You probably, I'm assuming you knew Chris rent, you know, here and there. Like, was there anything that, you know, those guys said that like kind of caught you off guard or um, like anything that sticks out? Um, I'm trying to think.
1: Um, yeah. Obviously. Yeah. I, I know Chris very well. Um, it's funny you and I, the, the second time I had uh, at least a, Somewhat of interaction with you when you filmed the last Have Heart show back in mm-hmm. um and I wasn't allowed to film it. And Chris and I actually had a no big heated argument oh. about whether or not I could film it. And I was young and I was young and stupid back then, and I was like saying some stuff that I really regret. Um, and I was very jealous that I couldn't film it. But I remember sitting there watching you film it. And I was like, "Man, I wish I was up there." And fast forward to the doc, we were f- actually filming. We were filming on location when I was filming the, re- the Have Heart reunion, so I thought, thought that was a full circle thing. But it was. Um, I, yeah, Chris and I have become friends over the years. We've uh, built a bridge over the stupid things that I said in that heated moment. And it was really, I, I really enjoyed hearing his perspective. Cause I think, I think, you know, people have this assumption that Chris is like this multimillionaire running bridge nine and you really get a sense of who he is as a business owner and a father. And he's really just trying to make it work. And I think that, um, I really respected that, uh, seeing that side of him and, um, Crandall, you know, like I'm digging into BMX. I did, I didn't know anything. I didn't know one bit about him coming into that. Okay. Um. So I thought that was really eye-opening. And again, like for me, like I just, I just assumed FBM was this like huge,
0: yep, <laughs>
1: massive thing that had you no know, like an unknowable number of employees and was probably raking in all this money, whatever it was. But I had no idea he's literally living in a school bus. Yep. You know, and yeah. And doing this. Because he loves it and i realized that there was a kinship there in terms of how we both feel about our respective endeavors and um i really thought that greg was well spoken and the stuff that he was saying in terms of persistence and failure and that really resonated with me the way he was the way the way that greg thinks about failure um i thought um makes sense and it's something that i really identified with um and i really just i really overall i valued how everyone um the perspective everyone brought to the table there was definitely some overlap that we all shared but there was also quite a bit of unique perspectives involved as well so i I think that it was you know when you're doing these sort of things you run the risk of everyone saying the same thing and there's nothing new but i think that this documentary series really has a great balance between like commonalities, but also things that each person is bringing that is unique to the table. So, awesome, thank
0: you, man. Yeah, that was that was one of the things I was afraid of at first. Once I once I got into it, it was like, oh, this is this is amazing because I had just a list of not even questions, but just general themes that I was like, I don't know if you remember, but I was like, success. Tell me about success, you know, and just trying to leave it as open as possible because I didn't want to. I didn't want to like um you like steer you in any sort of direction really and i was just afraid that like it was just going to be four people saying almost the same thing and it it didn't go that way at all so i mean i it was really interesting when i was putting it together i, I was like i remember just getting back starting to work on um even just having chris um i think i did chris first and then greg no i did greg first and then i did chris and then i did you and i remember like starting to put the three of you guys together because there was a big gap between April and October because I couldn't film Steve until October. Um, There was that big gap there and I was just like really trying to dial in how I was going to do it like just working with the three of you on the first episode and I was just I was happier. It was the first time that I was like I I actually like um, closed that gap like the the gap between what was in my head and what actually came out was like the the smallest gap that of anything i've ever worked on like i don't know if you're you know what i'm talking about it's like
1: i know that that feeling like you have this expectation in your head and then you have the final product and sometimes you uh, you're looking at it and you're like this is this is not hitting in the way that i want it to right and then other times you're like you know what this is fucking it this is exactly what i envisioned and it's perfect. Totally get that
0: feeling. Yeah. So I couldn't have been happier. Cause I don't know. Like I, the, I knew the four of you guys were going to be interesting, but I was happier than I ever thought I would have been when I, even just after that initial before I even had Steve in the mix. So I don't know. Uh Yes. Yeah, enough about that though. But <laughs> I wanted to ask you like with the live streaming, I know you've been doing the live streaming and then you, you, you mentioned earlier, you're, you're like, you've been real involved in like social justice side of things. Like do you, there's obviously kind of a synergy there. Do you see that as like a separate thing from from um, Hate Five Six? And do you see that like eventually becoming more integrated, I guess?
1: No, I, I see it as inseparable because for me, um, what brought me into hardcore and punk and just heavy music in general was this idea of thinking outside the box and thinking about social structures and things like that. So for me, yeah. it's always been one and the same and really at the end of the day i feel like 856 is a political statement obviously the logo is a very political thing in terms of the camera and sickle and distributing content for free but i really feel like um the the goal of the site is the same for both objectives because really at the end of the day i'm trying to amplify bands and trying to help you know bands reach a larger audience by putting by pushing them into people's feeds and getting people to like stop and listen and when I'm filming these you know, social movements or political rallies, I'm doing the same thing. I'm trying to signal boost whatever message that speaker is saying about the issue at hand and then pushing that out on the same platform. And so in, in a way that's like in tune with the the ethos and, and and principles I've learned from punk, which is to fuck shit up and to interrupt the pipeline of things and sort of really disrupting the flow of information and just disrupting how people consume media and this idea of culture jamming so yeah. really infusing politics with everyday consumption of media and i think i think some people get upset with me because there is politics on the site but um
0: that blows my mind <laughs> what was that I, I, that blows my mind it's like when, when when i see people getting like to me that's that was always one of the biggest things about punk and hardcore, like that message and that anti-establishment uh, or, you know, no matter what your view, where you, vo- I mean, obviously you had like bands like Screwdriver. So there's like, there's from one end of the spectrum to the other, if there's no like message, like, like deeper meaning in it, like, I don't even know what it is, you know? So it, it, it always surprised me to to hear that, that, that people like get upset. That there's the message
1: there. I think uh, for me, as a person of color, like my existence is political, whether people want to think about it or not. Especially like you know, women's existence is political. I mean, yeah. every day their their bodies are being debated about whether or not they have the right over bodily autonomy. So, I I really feel like uh, it it only makes sense for me to make this an integral part of what I'm doing because. I don't know it's just it's just who i am and i i don't see it slowing down and actually i see it ramping up i mean people 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 think that this whole uh political coverage on hate56 is new but it's not i've been i've been filming this stuff for years and i think that um we're at a point now where uh it's getting harder to ignore these issues that are going on and i think that um people on the whole are being more receptive to to hearing these things and, and wanting to tackle and address these difficult these difficult conversations that are being presented to us
0: have you seen that social dilemma doc i did yeah the the political part of it is super scary like how you know everyone's stuck in their bubble how does that affect what you do because obviously i would assume most people who are like following what you're doing would be a little bit more liberal minded it sounds like you get a lot of um Low back. How do you see that tying into what you're doing in both ends of it, like the the music and the political end of it?
1: Yeah, I think 8x6 is growing in such a way that I'm drawing in viewers who are not necessarily coming in from the hardcore punk world anymore. Okay. Um, because as, as bands grow, like for example, the Code Arms or Jesus Beast, those bands are getting, you know, they, they might get featured on some international platform, whether it's like a, a album review or whatever it is. And that draws people in to my channel because they'll go home from seeing they'll go home from seeing Code Orange play a big fest, and they'll they'll search on YouTube for their footage for or any footage of the band to, to get a better introduction to them, and then they'll stumble upon my site, and then at that point they fall down the rabbit hole. And like I said, they might not have any familiarity with hardcore and punk and what typically um, this music has been about. And so for them, it's it's uh, they don't get it, and so I think a lot of the backlash I get is probably from viewers like that. Okay. Um, and for I mean I, I welcome it because at the end of the day, well at the end of the day it's I, I used to take it personally and I used to respond to every message, but then I realized it, it, it doesn't matter whether someone agrees with me or not because at the end of the day my job my, my the function and my functional job here is to put content out there. And hope it reaches people. And so the way I the way I, I I've, I've been training myself these last couple of months is to take a step back and be like, all right, if someone's talking shit in the comments, at least they're talking on the com at least they're like engaging with the post because that is driving, you know, as part of these I mean as as shitty as these algorithms are, they rely on engagement. So if yeah. someone is really like upset about this thing that I posted, it's getting them to engage. And in, in a weird way, I'm like siphoning their engagement and their energy and their time to boost the post organically. Right. So I don't know. Um, I I think social media has definitely caused a lot of harm in terms of creating these echo chambers and, um, really dividing people. But I, it really hasn't deterred me from doing what I want to do, which is again, um, Putting things out there, making things available, and and trying to maximize the number of people who like hear that band or hear that message that's being being
0: being spread. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, I mean, you were talking about Code Orange, and you just did that live stream. Like, how did you get? How did you even figure out how to do something like that?
1: So, this is the third live stream that we did. we did the first two. The first two, well, the first one was in March at the very beginning of the pandemic. And I want to say Code Orange was the first band in the pandemic to do a live stream that was actually live, live and not pre recorded. So we threw that one together in 40, 48 hours. Yeah. I, was, I was already planning on going there to, to film the show. And then we got the call being like, hey, the show's off, but we're still going to do it. Do you know how to live stream? And I was like, well, I'll figure it out. So it's like the thing with the, the for, for the code orange streams, at least, I mean, I, I do, I do, I do a bunch of work, but they do assemble a really solid team of people that everyone carries their own weight. So right. for this most recent one, they hired like a 3d projectionist who handled all the projection mapping and you know, they have a stamp, they have the, their, their, audio guy. Uh, I bring a couple mm-hmm. people to help me film multiple angles. And then they have someone who helps like cut the angles. So everyone, everyone has their role mm-hmm. in terms of making it possible. Um, but it's it, the, the first two we did were really stressful because we, right before going live, we um, right before going live, we would, we would run into some technical technical issue, whether it was the sound not coming through right or there being like a weird delay on the cameras. There was constantly something going on, like with 15 minutes, 10 minutes before going live. that uh, was very stressful. But for this most, this most recent one, we we did a bunch of rehearsals for it and we actually we actually recorded it um the day before because it was so involved that we wanted to do it right but the thing is uh all the editing for that set was done live so basically there were there were seven camera angles and they were all being cut in real time and um the only thing that was edited during post-production was just like stitching together a couple blocks we basically did we recorded it in several blocks but all the editing was done in real time. I think a lot of bands are pre-recording and then editing it all later, which is fine, like but I, I think very few are doing it live live. They're they're doing the stream in real time. I think very few are doing that. And then uh there's also very few people who are if they're doing pre-recorded stuff, very few are actually cutting it in real time. So um so- I think that I think I think the I think the viewer doesn't care I think the I think viewers right now they just want new and exciting and engaging content that, that looks and sounds good mm-hmm. for me as a producer, I love the rush of doing it live
0: it's a challenge um,
1: yeah, I love the challenge because anything can go wrong and it's, it's 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 again part of being in punk and hardcore like things go wrong and my uh, a guitar string might break and you got to replace the string like that's just part of the experience yeah. you know and like rush, yeah. I too much filtering. I think really waters down the fact that this genre of music is meant to be gritty and in your face and not polished because that's what makes it accessible. That's what makes punk and hardcore accessible to people. People see that like, Oh, that band fucked up, but they just continue going on. That means I can start a band and fuck up and I don't have, I don't have to worry about it. You know? And I think that is really empowering because when you go see Metallica play in front of like 50,000 people or whatever it is like, that is so polished that there's such a gap there that I don't think the average person can picture themselves doing what Metallica is doing on stage. Yep. Whereas when you go to a hardcore show, you see the band up there, the headlining band. It's like, yeah, I, I could do that. If I just start a band and practice, like I could, I, the the goal seems much more within reach right. within the scene. And I think that for me, what, what even it doesn't have to be with my live recording. Even when I'm, even when I'm doing like a, Filming a fest and the band fucks up. Like I leave the fuck up in there. I leave them tuning their guitars in there because it humanizes them. It makes it seem real and accessible. And I think that is something I'm trying to carry through when I'm doing these live streams. Like I want it to be a high quality multi-cam thing. It's really crystal clear, but I want it to be organic. Like I just did a stream with a Year of the Knife. um They did a um, they they did one of the opening sets for the Code Orange stream. And uh, at one point the I got too close to the bassist, Maddie, and her the 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 headstock of her bass like hit my camera, and my camera went like spinning. It, <laughs> and I, I left that in there. I could have yeah. could have cut away right before it hit it and just got to a different angle, but I left that in there because I want people to be like, that's oh, a good shit, shot. Man, he really just got hit, like yeah. got hit while filming this thing.
0: Yeah, no, that's awesome. I, I like that's perfect. That I mean that that it puts you in there. It makes you feel like you're there, which I think is kind of the point. And then as far like live stream if it's a true live stream you know there's no overdubs there's there's no crazy shit going on it's it's like it's like the exact opposite of a Super Bowl halftime show you know like where they're just lip syncing so I mean I think that's awesome Do you happen to break out the cable cam
1: no so the issue was I I, I one of the reasons I finished it was because I wanted to use it for the stream but we were filming the set at a church and there were no like basically to, to use the cable cam you need to be able to suspend a cable between two like right points that are high enough and can can withstand enough tension between a rope because the, the whole unit with a camera is, is like 20 pounds yeah and so you need a really taut line otherwise it's going to stag in the middle so the issue was that the church that we filmed at did mm. not have um two points where i could suspend it between so i was a little bummed but it, it's done and I've, I've done some like field tests with it i tested it at like between two trees in my mom's house and i filmed my nephew running and you get this like cool parallax effect with it so it's yep. it it works i'm happy that it works and now i'm just like dying to find
0: reasons to use it so. i feel like you'd almost have to yeah i don't know how you would do that like i'm like my mind goes to like you know some tall like sea stands and sandbags but like you said if there's any slack it's got to be really taut so it probably wouldn't work and it probably
1: like needs to be fastened to like some trusses or yeah. something that is like cemented in the ground or, like poles yeah like, even 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 when i'm using trees at SAC. right now i'm doing some research to figure out like the best type of rope that has like the least amount of slack
0: what if it wasn't rope what if it was this is funny because like I actually uh I'm not sure what the pulleys look like but like we're doing a thing in my house right now we're installing these like little like like barn door type doors on the like storage space and it's a track it's pulleys on a track so i was just like thinking like well what if it wasn't a rope what if it was like more like a solid like a light piece of well it couldn't be aluminum it would probably sag but yeah, I don't know if there was another way around it. Almost like a giant camera slider. You know what I mean?
1: Oh, I see. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think of that.
0: Because that that the slat, the um, sagging seems like it's going to be real hard to overcome.
1: Yeah, it's difficult. I think um, I think for me right now, I'm I'm looking into. There's different kinds of rope that people use for rigging and things like that. And I think if I change, because I'm using just some off-the-shelf thing that I got at like Home Depot. Yeah. Um, But I think that there's like industrial grade, like Dyneema rope that I could use that has um, a different, um, they have a way of measuring how flexible it is. And I think it has like a better ratio or whatever for for handling that type of weight. So that's my next step, but it works. I finished all the, so I I bought a 3D printer during the pandemic and I've been using, learning how to use it. And I ended up up 3D printing a lot of the missing parts that I needed to finish the whole thing. So, um, and the other cool thing about that is like being able to manufacture stuff in my my apartment means that I can like I could try again going back to this whole idea of testing and failure like you know I I can I have a, I I've different brackets I've I've printed for the motor mount and the one that I'm currently using is it works I'm looking at it now it's starting to warp under the tension that it's like it's bolted into the uh it's bolted in the frame but it's starting to warp a little bit so like that's giving me some information about okay you know I can I can try printing this again and maybe I need to use uh a better infill or better or make the walls a little thicker so it doesn't it doesn't warp as much so that is really going back going back to what we talked about i think that uh even now even in this whole project of trying to get this thing back up and running i'm I'm using that idea of trial and error and using error as a feedback loop to iterate on like iterate on and improve a, a design so that's something that i'm still still doing um right now actually
0: yeah, and, and and that actually, that was another thing I want to ask you. Like, uh, and I think I know the answer, but like since going, obviously, like a lot of stuff has changed since we filmed to now, um, and like I, you've you've had to, like, greatly change the way you work, um, and film and deal with bands. Like, it's, obviously, there's no live shows going on, so you're doing the live streaming, and then you're doing all this other stuff. Do you feel that? Anything like? Do you have any differing opinions from from what you had, you know, a year and a half ago when we filmed? Unlike any of the things we talked about, or, or do you just kind of feel like it's it's cemented it and made it, and it's that much more you uh, like true?
1: Yeah, I don't think much has changed in terms of my opinion. Um, I think it's really cemented it. Um, I don't know. I, I think I've been. I think how I feel about things has been fairly consistent over the last ten years or so in terms of like my vision and maybe i think the only thing that change, has changed is my resolve and my commitment to it mm. but the fundamental drive has always been the same and even now like i'm being faced with this challenge like okay well i don't have shows to film and i need i need content to keep the channel alive and i need to keep it going so it's forcing me to think outside the box and again experiment with new things whether it's doing like live streams and having like an encore or a rig rundown some sort of bonus content for people that you know if if they really like the stream and they want to support it they can you know support me and then get be able to watch some bonus content behind the scenes stuff so it's difficult um there are definitely days where i'm like shit, i I should just go back to working in tech because that maybe might be a little bit more sustainable right now but i really don't want to do it so i'm trying to hold out as long as possible and again like the longer this goes on um, this pandemic and the lack of shows, I've, I'm afraid it's gonna be it's going to become harder for me to continue doing it. So I'm really trying right now to just focus on whether it's archiving old shows or just trying to provide people with new content uh, as long as possible. Because uh, if I can avoid having to shut the site down and go back to tech, I would love to avoid that as much as possible.
0: Dude, I, re- I relate with that a lot. Not to keep plugging the doc, but since January, I've had so many of, I used to have these days, here and there but since January I've had a lot of those days where it's like maybe I should just maybe I should just get a job you know and luckily there wasn't anything out there for me to get but it's been a it's been tough like there's so many times where it's just like like why am I doing this but like basically anytime I get into a real big funk like I I would just make myself go back and, and work on on this doc and like you guys all the things you guys had to say were just It kind of kept me going. It was like I almost felt like I had to drink my own Kool Aid or or from you guys, like because I wanted to. I wanted to just kind of like hang it up a bunch of times, like honestly, and like, but I didn't want to let you guys down. I just had no idea. I was like, I don't. I was so like towards the end where it was even when it was getting closer to being done, it almost got worse because it's like, man, it's come so far, and I feel like it's it's really good, and now it's just up to me to fuck it up. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah. And then, the, you know, I don't want to excuse it on or, or blame things on, on you know, the global pandemic, because there's a lot bigger problems out there than than, uh, than my documentary. But like, I was like, I don't even know if this is like, is this tone deaf to release this now? You know what I mean? Or is it going to be inspiring and help? And, and I hope it's the the, la- the the latter there. Like, hopefully it's inspirational.
1: I think it will be. I think it will be.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I don't want to keep you. I, the the last thing I went. Oh, wait a minute. I had one other quick question to ask you. You said you were uploading like even before you went full time, you were uploading six hundred videos a year. Is that six hundred? Is that six hundred sets, six hundred shows, or like six hundred songs, or like kind of a combination? Because that's a lot of videos. Six hundred sets. So wow. my videos typically are full sets. Okay. Um, Whenever, whenever I talk about a video being uploaded, it's, it's it's a set. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know if like in the like especially in the beginning, like if you experimented with doing like shorter form or like if like sometimes it was like a complete show or you know what I mean? Because
1: I used to like a lot of my original uploads on Hit Five Six were I, I used to break them out into songs. Okay, and that just ended up being coming way too much work because I don't always know the set list. Bands and all bands right. don't always respond when they ask them for the set list. And it just creates so much more work that I finally, was like, I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm gonna upload it as is, which is just the full set as it was, because that's how I filmed it and that's how I experienced it. And it's also gonna save me time um, in terms of like adding right. it to the site and indexing and archiving it.
0: Right, I would, I would have, like I assumed it was probably at least just sets, not songs, but damn, that's a lot of sets. So yeah, I'm gonna let you go, but what are you currently working on now that's keeping you motivated?
1: Yeah. I mean, like I, like I keep saying, I'm reaching out to bands, asking them, Hey, do you want to do a live stream? And just, you know, trying to figure out who wants to do it. A lot of bands don't, they don't think it's uh good or they're afraid it's not going to look right. Or a lot of bands just want, they feel like they thrive in front of a crowd, which I totally get and respect. So I'm kind of just uh, making, you know, making it, making it known to bands. Like, Hey, if you have new stuff that you want to play and you don't want to just film it on your phone and put it on Instagram, like, like, hit me up, like, I'm down to help you make this a thing. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to focus on doing that. Um, you know, I've, I've been sitting on stacks of tapes that people have sent me for the last however many years, so I'm really eyeing that up and really gearing to people working on digitizing that stuff and putting that out there. And um, I'm, I'm, st- I'm, I'm doing a lot of work for the local Black Lives Matter chapter in Philly in terms of helping them with video work.
0: Oh, and- that's awesome
1: certain things, doing interviews and, just, uh, you know, helping them um, create the content they, that, that they that they need and things like that. So that something like that is keeping me going. Um, I'm, I'm definitely stressing out about, like, the health of the channel I and mean, whether or not it's how long it's going to last, but I'm really trying to just keep my head down and focus on the work and just pray that, you know, the work is going to sustain, that the work is going to sustain it. And what the way i feel about it is how i felt about it back in 2018 is if it fails it fails but hey at least i fucking tried
0: yeah no i i think you're gonna be good i mean and there's so many what you got going for you is an enormous library of content and you're a creative guy so like you have so much content that you could repurpose in different ways that that i i'm sure people would be more than happy to to kick something in for you know yeah yeah, I, I think you're gonna be good, man. Like, I think you're you've you've set something up that you know will easily get you through. Hopefully, it's not more than the next six months. But um, <laughs> just for everyone's sanity. But yeah, man, is there anything you want to anything you want to plug or, or like you know like how people how can obviously six uh, 56com I don't know why. I'm sorry, but like I, I got to tell you this. If I ever say it the wrong way, I apologize. I, where I grew up, the area code was 617. And I always want to start, I always want to say hate. And as soon as I start saying it, I know it's wrong. It's, I, I get every combination from people, like 654. Yeah. People, people don't even say the five. People just say hate six a lot. I'm like, where's, what happened to the five? The lonely little
1: five is being left out. Um, um no, you're good though. Um, but yeah, people can find me on hate56.com, uh, youtube.com slash hate56. Hate56 on social media. It's the word hate, the number five, the word six. Uh, if you want to support the work that I'm doing, it's Patreon.com/856. There's, I'm building like a whole archive of just bonus, exclusive content, some behind-the-scenes stuff, a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff about how I run the site. So if you want to learn how I do, you know, some of the coding stuff, or want to learn how I store all my data, like I have, like I'm I'm working on building like this whole hundred terabyte array uh, storage array. So I'm gonna do like a video on how that all works and things like that. So. If you if you're curious about how any of this stuff works, like the nitty gritty details, you can you can support my work and and uh, learn that
0: way. Um, but yeah, that's about it for me. I think. Awesome, man! Thank you so much, Sonny. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, that was Sonny. If you get a chance, please leave us a review in iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this. It really helps build the awareness, and it would mean a lot. To also, don't forget to check out the six part Don't Stand in Line docu series that's releasing on November 20th. If you're hearing this before the release, you can pre-order it with the promo code pre-order 2020 to save 15%. You can learn more about it and everything else we're working on at CodecProjects.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at CodecProjects.